Yes, now for another instalment of our very popular little feature. We have some great thought-provoking tips on what to read, watch and listen to. This month, we're joined by the historian and author Ian Hoskins, whose recent book, Australia in the Pacific, has just been nominated for the Australian History Prize. Hello, Ian. Uh, Welcome back. Thank you, Geraldine. We had a lovely chat about that earlier on Saturday Extra. And uh, Jenny Gordon is also ready with her tips. Jenny is an economist and an honorary professor at the ANU in Canberra. She's also a non-resident fellow at the Lowy Institute. Hello, Jenny. Hello, it's lovely to be on. Now, just let's start with what you're both reading. Now, Jenny, it's a bit of a blast from the past from you. You're recommending we dust off our copies of The Lucky Country by Donald Horn. Absolutely. Yes, I, um, I, it's sort of a sad circumstance and I was cleaning up my mum's home and I found my dad's old copies of um, The Lucky Country and also The Permit, which is well worth reading as well. And I was taking them over to Austria for my nephew to read because he's into all sorts of interesting books. And I started reading it on the plane and I went, I have to finish this. So I ended up bringing it back. And it's it's just really worth reading again because so much of it is still relevant to um, to Australia today. So How so? Really Tell us what you worth mean. worth a read. Well, it, it talks a lot about... And and the point of the lucky country is that we haven't had to work that hard. And so when we face a whole bunch of new challenges, we're not ready for them. And he talks a lot about a set of leaders who had kind of, were so comfortable in how things were going that they didn't think that they needed to change. And the, the challenges that he lists, you know, communist Asia and things like that haven't come to pass. But there's a new set of of challenges. You know, that was the old domino theory back in the 60s that um, you're going to have all of Asia sort of fall like a domino one after the other to communism. And you still clearly have challenges from, from Asia. And so, but also opportunities. So it's just, it's just full of kind of um, very relevant information, I think, and makes you think. And you suggest... You suggested to our producer that we're at a point where maybe the Australian people did deserve better from our leaders, business leaders and political players, as we face oh, a sort of pretty huge time in our history. So I thought that was what was sort of quite thought-provoking, you know? Well, I think some of the lines is that it sort of goes in, you know, it's a first-rate country run by second-rate people. Uh, so it's, um, you know, and, and if you think about leading up to this, we had massive change. As an economist, I'm kind of into this kind of thing. You know, we had massive change in the 70s for a while and then it was really the reforms of the 80s that fundamentally shifted the way the Australian economy was. I mean, we, you know, in the 70s we got rid of the white Australia policy. Um, that was a massive change we got brought in, um, you know, equal pay for women and, you know, so all sorts of massive changes. And I feel like with the challenges of climate change, the shifting power dynamics of, um, you know, the US and China, we're also at that point where Australia has to actually sort of really think about itself differently and think about its place in the global economy differently. Well, that was exactly what my previous interview was discussing, you know, whether we need to yeah, refresh ourselves and, and think differently. Um, I note you also say that you went back to Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs and Steel as an old favourite. So you, you are, it, it's, you know, you, your, your sort of interests are quite revealing in a sense. 
Uh, they are rather. And oh, the last interview was terrific too because I actually was very lucky and had a, an office next to Bob Putnam back in the uh, Centre for International Affairs at, at Harvard a long time ago when he was writing um, his seminal work on Italy. And so that whole, as an economist, that whole issue of social capital and how we develop arm's length relationships and, and can trust people is actually really fundamental because it sits behind all our assumptions around market economies and things like that. And so it's just, it was just really interesting to try and bring those aspects into mm. economic models. And so, and it's just wonderful to see that, um, you know, this kind of work goes on and it still really matters. So I guess from my perspective, I think we can never think enough about history and how we got to where we are in order to change where we're going. Well, that was um, Eva Cox's uh, whole thesis with her Boyer Lectures all those years ago was the nature of trust and how critically important it was in the type of society that we, we've created. And Ian, you have, you're also looking back. I think this is very interesting. It wasn't the plan. <laughs> I'm a historian. That's all <laughs> yes, I ever do. <laughs> but you're also going back to um, Harper Lee's Go Set a Watchman, which, of course, was, it turns out to be an earlier version of To Kill a Mockingbird, the great classic. Yes, it was published in 2015, I got my copy a few years ago, but it sat on the shelf unread. And I've been looking at it and having finished the Pacific book and a few other commitments, now's the time to delve into literature, which I often don't get to do. Um, and I, I read them first to, to Kill a Mockingbird, um, revisited that, and then read um, Go Set a Watchman. And it was just such a... Um, a revelation because the, the Atticus Finch character was a hero to many for obvious reasons. He was the uh, the lawyer who defended the man who was wrongly accused of rape and ends up getting shot but not, not technically lynched as the fate of so many black men were at the time. Um, so we, we end that book thinking highly of Atticus and um, it's a wonderful book for many reasons. But the Ghost Head of Watchmen, written earlier in 1957 and thought to be a draft of um, Mockingbird, set in the 50s, Mockingbird set in the 30s. How that creative process works, I, I don't know because it reads like a sequel. Atticus Finch was a member of the Klan, is revealed, mm. and is a segregationist. And Jean Louise, who's the, the scout, mm. the, our, the wonderful hero of, mm. of also of Mockingbird, is so disillusioned with her father that she just tears strips off him. I was reading that section when you were doing your interview with Sarah Churchwell, About, literally, oh, literally in that morning. Wind. Yeah, yeah, chomping on a bagel and drinking coffee. And that's what prompted my email to you, which you kindly read out last week, because I was, I, I was so affected by her reaction to her father, her disillusionment and, mm. and Atticus. But it, it provided some insights into what's going on in the States today with... Look, it's it's a new revival of white supremacy um, and a new fight against what you might call reconstruction, that period after the, the Civil War where um, there was some attempt to to implement racial equality and the, and the South won that because they, they got to lynch and mutilate and rape with impunity for the next 50 years and then there's the civil rights movement and that's when Goes Head of Watchmen is set. So I really encourage people to to look at to read that book, read if you haven't already read it, or perhaps revisit it, um, Mockingbird first, and then 
goes out a watchman and, and it's, well, yeah. Well, how did it happen? I mean, I know this is not the first time this has been discussed, but how did it, how, was she prevailed upon, Harper Lee, by the publisher to tone down that ghost set of Watchmen and her relationships? Uh, because, I mean, the, it, it became a very different book, didn't it? It, it, it did. I, I actually don't know, so I'm not going to conjecture, but I, I have a feeling, my understanding is that it was her reworking because they, they are totally different books. Mm. They are totally different. And what is so beautiful about Mockingbird is that it's the world through the eyes of an eight-year-old girl, which in the, written in, the, in 1960 and set in the 30s, in itself is transgressive from a gender point of view. I mean, she is not belittled at all through that book. She is sassy and intelligent right to the end. So that is remarkable. Um, but um, I, I don't know what prevailed upon Harper Lee to, to rewrite that and, and write, in a sense, a prequel to the book that was the draft. And she sat on it until she was prevailed upon in 2013 or whatever it was because it was published in fifteen. Um, to release that other manuscript. And there have been conjectures about whether she was prevailed upon um, uh, too too much, whether she was fully equipped to say well, yes or no. Yes. Actually, one of our listeners has just said, this is a misreading of uh, Goes to Watchmen. Atticus is not a clansman. No, he was a member 40 years earlier. That's, oh, that's, okay. that's mentioned very distinctly. And, and There's no what, doubt about that, is there? Yeah, it? yeah. And he, he puts on a hood just to see what they're okay. doing. He joins just so he can get an insight. Um, but he's on the, the Citizens' Council uh, in the 1950s. And I can read a, a very quick extract. Mm. This, is, um, this is Atticus to Jean Louise in Go Set a Watchman. Um, have you ever considered that you can't have a set of backward people living among people advanced in one kind of civilization and have a social Arcadia? And there are worse sentiments there. So it is about segregation. There is one group of people who are below another... Now, he believes in the law. He doesn't believe in lynching and hence his, his earlier defence of... His advocacy. Yeah. We're based in part on um, uh, Harper Lee's own father who was a, a lawyer in the 20s and um, defended black men who were subsequently lynched. So, yes, it, there's, there's very little doubt that Atticus is a segregationist and he was a Klansman, not, not a... Murdering Klansmen, in, in, no, no. No, in no. fact, in Sarah Churchwell, there was so much to talk to her about, but I mean, she does point out in her book that actually Eve, some of the people who were very strong abolitionists actually didn't want to mix, though, mm. with people of different colour. So this is, this is a very interesting sort of, I don't know, subtext of the whole discussion oh, yes, in America, yes, which yeah. is terribly um, delicate. It, it is, uh, but I, I keep seeing um, images of, of raging white mobs with, you know, men with guns and and nooses out front of the Capitol building. There was a noose there on January 6th. There was. And th- their great-grandfathers are the men who looked at the camera with a body swinging in the breeze behind them with impunity. That's that's the connection I'm making. So maybe yeah. there's progress. Yeah. Yes, okay, all right. We'll go set a watchman. <laughs> go back. Uh, I haven't read it yet. Now, listening, let's get some picks for what to listen to. Now, Jenny, I think podcasting is your medium of choice by the sound of it. What have you been enjoying? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, there is so much good stuff out there. Um, I'm waiting for uh, uh, Matt Bevan to do another um, Australia America, China, Russia, are you listening series? I don't know mm-hmm. which one's coming next. But, no. uh, but that's always, they're always well worth listening to. Um, I think all your, uh, many of your listeners, because I know you have such a great interest in foreign affairs, um, 
Well, we'd already listened to Darren Limbs and Alan Gingell's Australia in the World. Yes. I think that's They hadn't put one out for a while. Absolute... I'm a bit annoyed with them. <laughs> yeah, I know. They must be busy. But it is, it's fun because, you know, Darren takes that kind of academic, well, how do we put this to a model, which, you know, appeals to me, and then you've got Alan's kind of years and years of experience and uh, and the two of them just hit it off really well. So you get some some sort of interesting takes and rethinks and and it's the way we should be doing, you know, analysis, which is to think about how do we explain things and then how do we put around them, you know, test them against reality and what insights do we get if we try and think about things in different ways. And so that's always that's always fascinating. Um, and can I add another one, which is a really fun one by the BBC. It's by Greg Jenner, which is You're Dead to Me. And so he did horrible histories. Oh, yes. And so he now does, um, you know, it's just you get these little snippets, well, quite substantial periods sometimes in history that I don't know a lot about. The Australian education system wasn't long on, you know, anything other than Tudors, I think. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's really great because it's always interesting and they do it in a fun way. And I must admit the comedians are better at the, at the pop quiz at the end than I am. Yes, you know, it pairs a comedian with an academic export, doesn't it? A, 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 academic yes, expert. that's right. Mm. And what about yeah. the, you do suggest also the economics-themed cautionary tales. Oh, yes, that's a fun one. People should definitely get onto that one. So Tim Hartford um, is a well-known economist and uh, it starts off because he loves disasters. And so trying to explain why disasters actually happen and some of them are quite amazing. There's one where a whole um, dance floor collapsed and then you go back and work out that somebody decided that the particular bolt, the way it was designed, couldn't be built that easily. So they sort of did a makeshift change. And it's a tiny change. And yet that tiny change put that whole structure at risk and it actually fell down and killed quite a lot of people, which is very sad. But it's about getting back to what actually was the thing that went wrong in this and what's a cautionary tale part of it is usually it's not the obvious that you think it is usually it's something else that is actually fundamentally behind what's gone wrong so that's a that's a great one to to listen to actually one of our listeners has just come in and said um the choice of reading this morning <laughs> reveals possibly a little bit of laziness. There's always good reason to read old classics. I could name many, but really there is so much writing reflecting the modern age. This is Gavin. <laughs> he feels oh, thanks, it. Gavin. <laughs> he wants you both Again, to... I'm a historian, you know, and I'm always playing catch-up. <laughs> um, okay. Now, what about you listening? I Actually, I'm intrigued by your choice, Ian. It's big, it's certainly atmospheric, and it features an Australian singer, here's a little taste. That's from Black Hawk Down, uh, um, and I, uh, Hans Zimmer. Uh, yeah, Hans Zimmer. So Black Hawk Down was God, made two thousand two, so it's twenty years ago. And Here I you go and again. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> but this, this is serendipity in the way that um, to 
go set a watchman with serendipity. I just picked these up for nothing. So I picked this CD up. I'd liked Hans Zimmer's um, music for Dunkirk. I mean, it's he's he's what John Williams isn't to me. I'm, I'm not a John Williams fan, but I love Hans Zimmer's understatement and the way he he just plays with sound. And this just blew me away. I didn't know what to expect. I'd seen the movie, but the soundtrack, oddly enough, hadn't stayed with me because it, it's full of action. So there's plenty of other things to look at. Um, and this is extraordinary, and it's a it's a collaboration. So it's, it, Hans Zimmer's written quite a lot of the music, but not all of it. The track you heard was Lisa Gerard, who's a an Australian singer. I had no I idea about that. that. No, no, no. Before oh. I did a bit of research for this morning, a collaboration with a um, a Breton uh, musician and singer, Dennis Prigion. I assume that's how you say his surname. And that track, oh, I mean, that type of ambient music can very easily flip over into a bit of. Music and kids, yeah, mm. but <laughs> it moves me every time. Um, there's Rakid Tara, who's I think an Algerian musician. There's Baba Mal, who's a Sen- Senegalese. So it's not, it's not the equivalent of the, the African equivalent because it's set in um, Somalia uh, of Orientalism. I mean, th- there's evoking the, mm. the the East Africa or whatever, and Hans Zimmer's German. So it, there's a danger there, but I don't think it does do that because of the. Um, the diversity of the musicians. And Joe Strummer's version of Minstrel Boy, which is a tradition, it was an Irish poem set to music. I I mean, at the end of the day, with a glass of wine, listening to that, and there's a bit of sort of um, African heavy metal, so it's not all what you've just heard. It just lets you sit down and think of um, what's yeah, yeah, I'm just thinking of it because in that classic, uh, the recent classic uh, countdown, which was of, of screen music for the screen, oh, yes, right. Hans Zimmer, of course, I became very aware of how remarkable Hans Zimmer is. I just can't remember whether they did Black Hawk Down. I right. didn't think they did, but maybe that someone will ring me. Martin Buzzacott will ring me and say if, I'm wrong. <laughs> if you can't find a CD, it might be on one of the streaming things, but... Yeah, okay, I have I'm, a CD with liner notes, so I love that. And just staying with you, Ian, for your TV recommendation before I come to Jenny, um, it's a new the new TV series starring Jeff Bridges as a former CIA operative, the old man. Here's a taste. Hello? Hey, kid, it's me. They found me. Doug, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. The dogs are fine. I thought I covered the tracks. You and I were not going to be able to talk again. Remember that I love you. That I'll always love you. I'm on a plane to Morocco tomorrow. What is happening? I want to understand how your world works. Come with me, I'll tell you everything. I'm Sounds like the old man is in for a, for a rough time. Jeff Bridges is a fabulous actor, most underrated in my opinion. Why well, did it get to you? Well, it, it got to me. My, I've just um, cl- clocked over into old age myself. So <laughs> Jeff Bridges, the scene begins with him with bladder problems, getting up several times in the morning. But he is a C- ex-CIA operative, so he can handle himself and all the rest. So there's me clinging on to some degree of hope. But... Um, so it, it's all that stuff which I love, you know, backstory in Afghanistan and, you know, the tough old guy. But the, the the female actors in it have wonderful roles. There's Amy Brenneman, who you might remember from um, NYPD Blues and Judging Amy, I think. Um, neither of which. Oh, mm-hmm. NYPD Blues was a favourite. I don't remember the other. Mm-hmm. Alia Shawcott is a young um, American actor and Liam Lubani, who I've seen in several things, um, they're just great. So their relationships are wonderful. It's not written um, 
just for guys. It, it, it those characters. Okay. Yeah. Whenever you think that he's going to take over because he's the the alpha. Um, Amy Brenneman will surprise you, oh, so that's it. great. It, Can I see it? Like, is it free to air? Oh, yes. It's, oh, well, no, it's not free to air. No. It's, um, Netflix. I think it's on one of those um, subsets of Disney, like grown-up oh. grown Disney. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't pass the Alison Bechdel test, so there's, there's never two women. I think I just cancelled my Disney thing oh, the other day. There's never <laughs> two women speaking to each other, but it's the old man, so if you can... Excuse that, then right. it's, it's beautiful. Good, good. And Jenny, finally, you're giving Auntie a good plug with the new David Wenham series, The ABC Of. Yes, we just um, sort of fell over it. Um, I think it was uh, Will Anderson was on the night that we sort of had turned the telly on. And it's it's just, it combines the film clips from the ABC archives. And so you can sort of see people being confronted by bits of their past that have been captured, you know, on ABC film. And it forces them, you know, they get really thoughtful um, and, you know, takes them back in a way that just asking questions wouldn't. And so it's that beautiful use of, um, of the film footage that, that triggers memories and, and just leads to a really interesting discussion. And then, you know, having I mean, grown up in Australia in the period of, of Auntie Jack, I love the um, Gary McDonald one to sort of see uh-huh. the old black and white footage of Auntie Jack and I'll rip your bloody arms off. Um, and then also Mother and Son, which was fantastic with, with Ruth Cracknell. So it's just, it, it's had John Howard, it's had uh, Yvonne Gullivan Corley. Um, it's just had this great lineup of, of people and, right. and well worth watching. Well, look, thank yeah. you both very much. That's a lovely wide range and. Um you're clearly having fun, so thank you very much indeed. Despite any it, sort of suggestions the, of laziness, con- well, contemporary, I'm sorry, <laughs> contemporary pit. <laughs> Ian Hoskins. For your, for your lazy person, if I can say, I've also got on my um, on my table here rethinking social media and extremism, which okay. is just out. All right. By Shirley Leach. And oh, Paul well Pickering. done, well done. So, okay, thank you, you very much indeed, like Jenny that. Gordon. And and look, I'm just before we go. I want to. We had a very good response to our rewilding story last week, and Robin Williams is following. The that up this week on the Science Show with uh, Dr. Jeremy Leggett has a vast estate in Loch Ness where he's rewilding, paradoxically, um, smashing down alien exotic trees but allowing native forest and peatland to return. CO2 recaptured and biodiversity saved. So all of that awaits you.